0: Have you been to Rome for the Jubilee year? Or have you ever been to Rome? One of the most thrilling moments is when you enter St. Peter's Square or St. Peter's Plaza. There, with tens of thousands of other pilgrims, all together you chant the Credo. There is a particular surge of excitement at the end of the Credo when everyone together sings, Et Unum, Sanctum. Catholicum, et Apostolicum Ecclesium. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and Apostolic Church. Pause for a few moments over just two of those words. Unum and Catholicum. Unum refers to the unity, oneness, of all Catholics in the teaching of the faith, the commandments, and the reception of the sacraments. Catholicam, Catholic, means that the Church extends itself to every person and place. There is no race, no nation, no language, no culture that the Church does not embrace unto herself because she knows that Christ, her Master, has died for all men. But what does unam, and catholica have to do with the holy sacrifice of the mass? I can answer that in one word diamonds. I'm Father Pericone, and welcome to that glorious act our conversations on the mass.
1: Throughout time Many attempted to influence the course of the world, from Alexander the Great to Julius Caesar, from Albert Einstein to Madame Curie. They have left their imprint on history. Yet only one man changed the future everywhere, forever. To all, he offered eternal life. He was God-made man. Today, his sacrifice is present in the Most Holy Mass. You too. Can take part in it.
0: Remember, after our Lord's death, some of the apostles remain in Jerusalem, but Peter and some of the others go off to Rome. Saint Paul will not immediately arrive in Rome, he'll make his way through Eastern Europe. He'll stop at Greece and places in Turkey. It's logical for us to imagine therefore that Mass is celebrated in Rome by Saint Peter and a group of the Apostles but Mass continues also in the city of Jerusalem. The Mass is being celebrated essentially the same way But because these are two different parts of the world entirely, Jerusalem and Rome, with different tastes, different temperaments, different customs, ways of expressing beauty, the ceremonies surrounding the Mass in Rome begin to differ from the ceremonies surrounding the Mass in the city of Jerusalem, directed by that great Apostle St. James. St. James develops Ceremonies surrounding the Mass that are somewhat dramatic, effusive, and literally longer than the Masses being developed in Rome. As a matter of fact, St. James's Mass we know is taking some several hours. Quite beautiful, but very long. And since people never change, and no Catholics seem to like ceremonies like that altogether that long. People stop attending the Mass in Jerusalem because of its length. That's a problem. St. James finally dies, and a few hundred years later, well, about the year 379, a great saint called St. Basil the Great recognizes that in order to make the Mass a little bit more accessible, it has to become shorter. He goes away and he prays for about nine days to our Lord to give him the inspiration about what to do on how to reformulate this Mass so as to make it shorter. He does that. St. Basil the Great establishes a new Mass. In the meantime, remember, in Rome, the Roman Mass, is developing in very different lines far more compact far shorter less dramatic than what's developing in Jerusalem around 303 another great saint Saint John Chrysostom, that Greek name means he's the saint of the golden mouth because he preached so beautifully Saint John Chrysostom takes the mass of Saint Basil the Great, shortens it even further to about an hour and a half sometimes even two hours. And that is the Mass that comes to be known in the eastern part of the Catholic Church as the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom because he's the one that wrote the prayers, developed all the beautiful ceremonies. That is 379. Before that, around 330, that eastern base of the church in Jerusalem begins to migrate north. They settle in a little city on the Bosphorus. That city is called Byzantium. It later has its name changed because the great Emperor Constantine, who brought peace to the Roman Church, ended the persecutions, established the Roman Catholic Church as the official religion of the Roman Empire, decides he doesn't like the city of Rome anymore, so he takes the seat of his government to this little city on the Bosphorus in now present-day Turkey, Byzantium and establishes his new kingdom. He gives it a new name, Constantinople, and that beautiful mass developed by Saint John Chrysostom plants itself there. That is the reason why we call the mass of the Eastern Church Byzantine, the Byzantine liturgy. Because it was in that town of Byzantium, and now present-day Istanbul, by the way, in Turkey, where that liturgy came to develop. Remembering at the same time, the Mass is developing in Rome on its own. The ceremony is quite different. The prayer is altogether different as well. That is what the Church means by Rites various ways of offering the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. There is the Byzantine Rite, this beautiful ceremony surrounding the Mass composed by Saint John Chrysostom, and then of course there is the Mass that we are all used to, that we attend, that I offer daily. That is called the Roman Rite. It developed in Rome, sometimes also referred to as the Latin rite. By the way, that expression, Latin rite, refers to the fact that from the beginning of the time of the apostles in the, in the city of Rome, the Mass was offered in Latin. The apostles recognized they wanted to give it this sense of embracing the whole world. And what was the world at the time? The Roman Empire. What language did they all speak? Latin. At least that was the official language. That was the language of the educated class. That was the language you had to speak if you wanted to have some influence. And so, since that mass was developing in Rome, and Rome was to be the center of the Catholic Church, because Christ's vicar lived there, Peter and his successors, the mass began to develop in the language, the universal language of the Roman Empire, Latin. So, we have the Latin or Roman rite. We can use those terms interchangeably. Latin and Roman, they mean the same thing. But at the same time, not to forget that equal in dignity and in majesty is the Mass as its ceremonies have developed in the East. Especially located in the city of Byzantium, Constantinople now present at Istanbul. The Church tells us that these two wings of the Church are like two lungs. Actually, that's the expression of our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II. He tells us that the Mass celebrated in these two forms, the Byzantine or Eastern Rite and on the other hand the Latin or Roman Rite are like the two lungs that a person requires in order to breathe effectively. They are quite different, essentially the same, equal in dignity. It is very important for us to remember this. Even though we might not have that much exposure to those beautiful Eastern Rite liturgies or masses, they are our brothers. And the mass they celebrate, though most Latin Rite Catholics might not have ever been present for one of them should recognize that they are things of great beauty they are so respected by the popes that Leo XIII wanted to remind Catholics about the importance of the different Eastern Rite masses and he wrote this in 1874 the maintenance of the Eastern rites is of more importance than might be imagined. The august antiquity which lends dignity to these various rites is an adornment of the whole Church and a witness of the divine unity of the Catholic faith. That's legal the We have seen how our Holy Father is always putting out His hands to the Orthodox Church. Unfortunately, in the year 1054, they broke away from the Roman Catholic Church under the Holy Father and they are now considered to be schismatic but they offer that Byzantine liturgy developed by St. John Chrysostom. Many other Catholics that attend that Eastern liturgy are still in union with the Holy Father, thank God, because the great desire of our Supreme Pontiff that even the Orthodox, that's what they call themselves. When they broke away from the Pope in 1054, they considered themselves to be the more pure Catholic and the Latin Rite Catholics to be like their step cousins. The Holy Father, again, has a great desire to bring them back into the fold of the Catholic Church under the authority of Peter who represents Christ. Our Holy Father is Christ's vicar. We pray that His prayer, and we join our prayers to His, may someday be realized. That is the reason why we see the Holy Father often going to the masses in the Eastern Rite. Sometimes, those masses are even said in St. Peter's Basilica. The Orthodox will come, the Russian Orthodox with their patriarch, the Greek Orthodox with theirs, the Egyptian Orthodox will all come to Rome because they want to fulfill, try to fulfill the desire of the Roman Pontiff for unity throughout the Church. If our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, wants us to have this unity with our cousins, the Orthodox, how much more ought we have unity with those Catholics who celebrate the Eastern Rite differently than we celebrate the Latin Rite, but are still Catholics with us. This is the distinction. The two lungs of the Catholic Church, in the words of our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, one church. When we return, I will hold the diamond that is the Mass, the Eastern Rite and the Western Rite, up to your eye. And then I'm going to turn it slowly. Stay tuned. I promise you, in looking at the Eastern Rite, a wondrous sight.
1: Your holiness, revealed in Jesus, challenges us to renounce violence, to forsake revenge, and to love without discrimination, without measure. Teach us the surpassing truth of the gospel, which puts worldly wisdom to shame, that we may recognize as one with us, even our enemies and persecutors, and see all people as your children. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.
0: I would like to take you inside one of those Eastern Rite or Byzantine Rite churches. The beauty is eye-popping. What will catch your attention first is a large screen, almost like a curtain in front of a stage in a Broadway theater. But it's not a curtain. It is a wall. And this wall is covered in gold and inlaid with jewels and pictures called icons in Greek of the saints, of our Blessed Mother, of our Lord. That's the central part of an Eastern Rite Church, the Eokonostasis. Let's now look at that Divine Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. The basic elements of the Catholic Mass, of course, are there, but the ceremonies surrounding them are so different, so dramatic, so elegant, the very beginning of an Eastern Rite Mass differs greatly from the beginning of a Latin Rite Mass. It begins in silence. It's almost as though they take the offertory, which we have after the sermon, and they put it at the beginning. Mass begins with the preparation of the gifts. You see, the whole liturgy of the Eastern Rite is a recapitulation It is a remembering of the whole life of our Lord, from His incarnation to His second coming at the end of the world. The first part of the Divine Liturgy of St. John Chrysostom takes place on the side, out of the gaze of anyone, behind that wall, that screen. Let me tell you what it means. The preparation of the gifts represents the incarnation in the womb of Our Lady as She prepared our Lord by giving Him flesh so the priest now prepares the gifts that will come down and give us the flesh of Christ the preparation of the gifts also indicates our Lord coming upon the earth at Christmas the preparation altar itself different from this altar, it is on the side tremendous significance, that little altar represents Bethlehem That pattern, the golden dish that holds the host, that is the manger, the stable at Bethlehem. After that, the priest makes his entrance. The people see him, and he sings antiphons. This represents the promise of the Savior to come into the world and save our sins. Let me read for you a moment one of the prayers that the priest says at the that time, just a small portion, to give you a flavor of how rich they are. We thank you, O Lord God of powers, for having deemed us worthy to stand at this time before your holy altar and to prostrate ourselves before your mercy for our sins and for the people's transgressions. Accept, O God, and make us worthy to offer to you prayers and supplications and unbloody sacrifices. This prayer, the first prayer of the priest, is followed by what the Eastern Rite calls the little entrance. The priest enters through the royal doors for the first time. What does that represent? Our Lord's coming to the River Jordan to be baptized. The priest is holding a book of the Gospels. This book of the Gospels, again, is laden in heavy gold the Eastern Rite priest and the people do not say holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Rather their holy, holy consists of holy God, holy, immortal one, holy, mighty one. Have mercy on us. That represents when the heavens opened at the river Jordan after our Lord was baptized by Saint John the Baptist and the Heavenly Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The first glorification of the blessed Trinity. Then, the priest has the familiar to us epistle, gospel, and sermon. What do they represent? They represent how our Lord, after he was baptized, went out and for three years taught the people. Then the priest comes and the doors are shut behind him. That is called the great entrance. And he goes over to that little altar on the side, the preparation altar. He picks up the chalice and the host on the paten, brings it to the altar. This signifies our Lord's entrance into Jerusalem. He then has the Nicene Creed, our Lord's farewell to his apostles, where he teaches them to teach all men what they must believe. Then the moment of consecration occurs. And after the consecration, the priest lifts his hands in the form of a cross. And at that moment, he prays this quite beautiful prayer. Let me tell you what it is, O Lord God Almighty, who alone are holy. Receive the sacrifice of praise from those who call upon you with their whole heart. Accept the prayer also of us sinners. After this, there is the holy commemoration of our Blessed Mother. Because she, after all, after our Lord dies, she is there to be received by St. John the Apostle. And then there is the Our Father Indicating our Lord's words from the cross, there is Holy Communion, and then after Holy Communion the people are blessed with the remains of the body and blood of our Lord, that represents the resurrection. And the ascension is symbolized by the priest carefully cleaning the sacred vessels to be sure that no particle of the sacred blood or of the precious body of our Lord is in any way left behind. When that task is completed, the world doors opened and Father comes out and before the Oconostasis, he prays and this is the great symbol of the end of the Mass and represents the second coming of our Lord in splendor at the end of the world. Magnificent. Try to go to one of those Eastern Rite Masses someday. You will be amazed at its beauty. Of course, the Latin Roman Rite has its own beauty but this represents a singular kind of beauty we can't say which one is better than the other that would be like a mother saying i like this child better than this one they're equal but each one has its own unique flavor unam and katholika this is what the church means one and catholic when she talks about the inculturation or adaptation of the Mass. Each culture, each people, brings the finest of their achievements in order to further embellish the already unspeakable richness of the Mass itself. This process usually takes centuries and is mostly accomplished by saints. That, of course, doesn't surprise you. A diamond, after all, doesn't happen overnight. I am Father Pericon. Please join me next time for the most glorious act, our conversations on the mass. Till then, God bless you.